Welcome to I Hadn't Considered That. I'm Vanessa Torrey, and each week I'll be joined by guests whose perspectives and uncommon experiences can help us better understand each other and the world around us. The unique and inspiring stories you'll hear will make you feel connected to parts of people and life that you hadn't yet considered. Until now. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to I Hadn't Considered That. Thank you so much for coming back and spending some more time with me. I'm so happy that you're here. I'm going to keep today's intro short because I'm so excited to be sharing this interview. Art Monahan is a dear friend of mine. He has lost a significant amount of weight over the last few years. He says that he equates it to losing the equivalent of a large adult and a large toddler. And his transformation is very inspiring. And so much so that I got the kick in the pants that I needed after this interview to get myself back in the gym and to focus a little bit more on myself. And I will tell you that I love and hate art right now. I love him because he's delightful and he's got an amazing story that I can't wait to share with you, but I hate him because every inch of my body hurts because I went back in the gym because I said to myself, look, if art can do all of this really hard work, there is nothing stopping me from doing it. And so I was inspired. And so I went and I picked up all of the heavy things and then I put them down and then I picked them up again and I put them down again and I kept doing it and now it hurts. But you know what? I'm going to go back later this week and I'm going to go again and I'm going to do it again and again and again because I feel fantastic despite the fact that I feel really old. So without any further ado, I want to introduce you to my friend, Art. Please check the show notes for ways that you can connect directly with him, especially if he's inspired you so that he can hear from you and he can help you out if you need a little kick in the butt like I did. So with me this morning is my friend, Art Monahan, and Art is the second part of a two-part series that I wanted to do after finding some intersections among friends regarding some conversations that we need to have about bodies, about weight, about expectations, about health, and about happiness. Art, what I like to do is start by asking everybody the same question, because this is about perspectives, and this is about people's stories, and to let folks get to know who you are right away, we like to ask folks to tell us their story. So tell us your story, Art. Sure. Absolutely. And good morning, Vanessa. It's awesome to uh, to be on this. Thanks I feel honored. Uh, my, my, my story is the American story. Um, no, it's, it's basically just a story of someone who had kind of had enough. Um, I kind of had my son pretty early in life, um, gained my freshman 40 at 21. Freshman um, 40. I like it. Yeah. I worked, I worked nights. Um, so it's, it's kind of a tale about really deciding that you just aren't going to take it anymore. Um, I had my son relatively early. I had him in my early twenties and I had a, a career that I was working nights at and really just kind of was going along with life. Wasn't really putting too much effort into much of anything. I think one of the big things is, is when you're raised to, you know, play sports and have activities and your life is very um, regimented and it's scheduled out. Once you get that 
to that freedom point of being, you know, whether it's out of high school or out of college or whatever it is, the way, the way that you're raised really kind of takes over for you. And for me, there just wasn't a lot of structure. There wasn't a lot of, you know, activity going on as far as you stop playing high school sports and you move on to a job and that's just what you do. And there wasn't a lot of activities in my house um, as far as, you know, physical activity, exercise, nobody in my house worked out, anything like that. We were a very large Italian family. And I mean that in both ways. Um, food was a very social activity for us. And so that just kind of continued into my, you know, my mid to to late twenties. Um, and then being a single guy, you know, it's, it's another kind of fallout as far as, you know, your diet and exercise and things like that. And so I slowly kind of started to, to gain weight. And as I kind of got into my thirties, it kind of passed a point of no return really, where I just didn't carry more. Um, I was always the, I was always that chubby guy. I was always the big guy, um, in the group, very kind of token, funny, chubby guy, like, you know, you always see in the movies. And, and I was okay with that. I accepted that as a role, which kind of was my, one of my first real bad choices, I suppose. I, I never really did anything too bad. I didn't, you know, drink all the time. I wasn't, you know, wasn't an alcoholic. It wasn't that I went out and partied all the time. It was that I just didn't do anything to take care of myself. And so life kind of goes on and 10 years passed. And it wasn't until I was 35 years old and I had started to wake up five or six times a night to go to the bathroom. And, you know, I'd had previous issues with cancer in my family. So I literally went to the doctors one day and I said, look, I said, I've been getting up five or six times a night to go to the bathroom. You know, I, I want to make sure that I don't have any prostate issues. Um, and for those of you who've never experienced the examination that comes along with that, it's not one of the more glorious times in a man's life. So I, I really was dreading it to start with. So I kind of went into it with the mentality of, you know, I'm going to find something wrong. Something's going to be wrong with me. I'm going to end up, you know, having to do this. And essentially after the examination was over, uh, I was speaking with a doctor. And I said, look, I said, you know, the big thing for me is I just want to make sure I'm not having prostate issues. I've had cancer in my family before. And he goes, no, no, no. Let me stop you right there. He said, you don't have cancer. You're just really fat. No. Now, now this was a doctor who had gone to medical school. I presume I did see the photos on the wall, but you know, I did see the, the, the doctor's licenses and things like that, but he must've been absent for the bedside manner lesson that yeah, they had. Yeah, it surely sounds like it. You would, you would think that someone who was so worried about my physical well-being would take some of my mental well-being into account. Um, but no, he just, he looked at me and he just said, you're just really fat. And that was that very classic moment like in a movie where the the lead character just kind of has that that pause and the music gets real quiet um and for me it was like okay well if a doctor just told me i'm really fat maybe i should do something about it and so i kind of decided at that moment i said well what can i do here's you know here's kind of what what my options are and then i went and did one of the sleep studies but i found what worked for me and i actually was so bad that i actually had what they call a BiPAP machine. And so most people at this point have heard of a CPAP machine. Unfortunately, the fact that most of our society knows what that is, is kind of a rough idea anyway. But the BiPAP machine not only brings air in, it also pushes air out. So essentially I had a machine that was breathing for me at night. I was getting so little oxygen. And so once I got adjusted to that, things started to kind of get a little better. I was sleeping more. I had a little more energy, you know, and as I start picking up steam with this, I start going to the gym and I hired a personal trainer and I decided I was going to look into having surgery. And for me, I'd always kind of, I'd always known that I was a big guy, but I'd put off, you know, the idea of surgery because my sister had had it and she was rather successful with it. She had lost close to 200 pounds and literally 
literally 10 years later, she'd gain most of it back, which unfortunately mm. is, a, is a huge issue for a lot of folks that have weight loss surgery. Um, and I'll kind of talk about that in a little while. But the big thing for most people is they're, they rush to have the surgery, but don't understand why they need it. Um, and that's a big thing for a lot of people. But I had the, you know, I had the doctor's meetings and I went to the classes and I, Vermont is actually one of, I'm lucky, is actually one of the harder states to get the surgery in because they have so many milestones that you have to go through in order to qualify for the surgery where I went almost nine to 10 months before I actually had my surgery. I think I started in January um, and I finally had the surgery at the end of October of 2014. And how much for just for perspective so that we, so that people can kind of get an understanding of frame of reference at this point, what is your weight? The first day that I stepped into the doctor's office and I got involved with the bariatric surgery program, I stepped on a scale and my weight was 527 pounds. So I went along with my journey and I actually started to lose more and more weight. And I had to lose, I think I had to lose 25 pounds before my surgery, which if you think about it is nothing. I mean, I could skip lunch and probably lose 25 pounds at that point. And so I ended up losing about 45 pounds before I qualified for the surgery. And by the time I'd had the surgery, I'd lost about 90 pounds. And let me tell you, I had surgery in here in Burlington, Vermont, at the hospital on October, I believe October 30th, right? I had my surgery, I lost the weight. And then I really started to kind of do all the after work. And, you know, I really kind of worked on why I had gotten to where I got. And for me, it was just a lot of not making the choices for myself that I needed to, to, to be healthy, i.e. like eating healthy, going to the gym, doing things like that, making decisions to not do things. One, unfortunately, one of the bad things about being the chubby guy in your group is everybody just always assumes that you want the leftovers or if there's any sort of eating challenge um, that you definitely want to do it and you should do it. You really shouldn't. But that was one of the things where I had to, do, to, to take myself socially out of being that guy and I had done it for so long, it became kind of second nature to me to, to always, you know, try to push myself to do those things. And after surgery, they're just not possible. And that's a whole mindset that I had to get out of. And once I started to really distance myself from that mindset, then my progress really actually kind of sped up quite a bit. And I really lost about 250 pounds in almost 18 months. That's obviously post-surgery. Yeah. And it was, and it was a, those last 50 pounds that almost killed me. Um, you really, your body is a very powerful machine and it really does adapt quickly. And so the, the really get to that point of losing the last few pounds, I, I really, it took me, it took me quite a while to lose the last, the last few. And I, and I joked because the, the 520 that you see behind me, it had been so long for me that I didn't even remember what my weight was when I went into have the surgery done. And so the years had passed and I had gotten, I have a tattoo on my arm that says 520 on it. And I had the poster behind me that says 520 on it. And so myself personally, and, and you can see all this, all of my Facebook and Instagram is all open to everybody. It's, you don't have to be a friend to follow or a friend to, to see everything on my page. And you can see the day where I hit my, my 300 pound lost mark and I got down to, to 220 pounds. Well, what happened was I got a message that day from the nurse in the bariatric program, who was actually one of my friends on Facebook at that point. And she had said, I just looked up your, your numbers from when you first came in and you actually weighed 527 pounds. She goes, you actually hit your goal like three weeks ago. That's incredible. And so, yeah. And so for me, I had just, it had really become one of those situations where I had found that number, that 300 pounds 
and, and I started at 520 and I really had it ingrained in my mind for so long that I just kind of went with it. And so the tattoo on my arm is 520, which I have been grabbed in public for more than one reason. Um, apparently 520 is the area code for Casa Grande, Arizona. Um, <laughs> people think that it's 420 plus 100, which I don't quite understand the significance of that. Um, I just all kinds of different reasons. Uh, but yeah, that was, that's my one and only tattoo. That's the only thing that I've ever done like that. And it probably is the only thing that ever will mean enough to me to actually, to actually get a tattoo. So there's a couple things that you touched on that I want to go back to because I want to sort of understand a little bit more about this process. And there's a couple things that even I connected to that really kind of hit me. Um, and I'm sure that if it hit me, it would probably hit other people because there's a certain level in which we identify. One of the first things that you had said in gaining weight and after your son was born was that you hit a point where you just didn't care anymore. So when you hit the I don't care anymore. What is the, what is the background on that? Do you think, where well, did that come from? Unfortunately, it's, it's more like when they say people freeze to death, you don't really notice it. You just kind of slowly drift and then everything kind of gets quiet and dark and, and that's kind of how you go out. And for me, it was kind of the same thing. I didn't make a conscious choice to gain weight. I didn't make a conscious choice to become, you know, that, that token chubby guy in my group of friends. It, it just kind of started to happen. And unfortunately, I really accepted it as my role. Um, and I didn't really advocate for myself at that point, which I definitely, that, that should have been one of many kind of red flags, I guess, as they were. Um, but for me, it was just, it just kind of happened, unfortunately. And, and I know that it's a very large amount of weight to say that it just kind of happened, but it was, you know, pizza's good. I'm not sure oh, yeah. if you guys are aware, um, they have pizza here and it's very good and they'll deliver it to your house. So it's, it starts as a matter of convenience, really, you know, it's, it's, Hey, I'll just get, you know, I'll have Domino's tonight and then, you know, I'll, I'll eat good for the rest of the week or I'll have a salad or whatever it is, you know, you start to make those choices. And unfortunately, the more of those choices that you make, the easier it gets, you know, to make those choices. It's kind of like, it's the same thing with, I don't want to say giving up on yourself because I never really gave up on myself per se. I, I never, I was never depressed. I was never, you know, I was never suicidal. I never had negative thoughts. I was always a very positive and happy guy. It was just, this was my lot in life. This was what, what I was going to be. This was where I was, you know, going to fit in, I guess is the, the easiest way to put that. You know, if I could still be the funny guy and eat pizza, why wouldn't I do that? So when you said earlier that your sister had had surgery as well, and that this seems to be, you had said that you come from the large Italian family with your family and the idea that you come from this large Italian family, do you think that your family also having issues related to weight contributed to sort of accepting this is who I am. This is my lot in life. This is just how things are going to be. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's, that's part of it. And two, it's nature kind of versus nurture to a, to a certain degree. I think you, if that's what you see growing up and that's what you, you know, you come to, to know and, and love, like, you know, my, my dad was always a big guy. My sister was always a big girl, you know, and I love them both. And so to me, there was nothing wrong with being that way necessarily. It wasn't, it wasn't that I, I didn't know any better necessarily. It's just that that was what was around me all the time. So that was what it became a little easier to accept it in myself when you see it in others. So one other thing that you had mentioned that you've mentioned actually a couple of times is being the token funny guy, I think that we're all taught as kids that if we can beat people to the punch, 
then we are protecting ourselves from being hurt. However, what they don't tell us is that we're also reinforcing a false narrative of ourselves that is equally damaging because we are then breaking ourselves down rather than having somebody else outside of us do it. Where do you think you fall in regarding going into that role? I'll let you in on a little secret. And this this kind of speaks to a lot of my little quirks eccentricities and issues as they were. I uh, I went to private Catholic school for 13 years. Well, that'll make you funny. Yeah, it makes you funny. It makes you guilty. It makes you, you know, a, a bunch of things. But um, I grew up with a lot of kids that were outside of kind of my my middle class, you know, nature. Um, I, w- I went to school with a lot of kids that had things handed to them, had, you know, a, a lot more money affluence and power than than I had. And because of that, I kind of went into it trying to find a way to fit in. And I think unfortunately that that being the, f- the funny guy or being the, the, the big guy, that was, that kind of spoke to my personality as well. It's like, well, if I can't compete with being, you know, the best dressed kid with the newest shoes and all this other stuff, then then I had to do it a different way. And then, like you said, as being a, a chubby guy, being a bigger guy, being overweight my entire, not my entire childhood, because I was actually rather skinny until probably about, I would say seventh and eighth grade. And, oh, you uh, know, when puberty hits. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it, it exploded on me. And, uh, and when, when that happened, that was kind of when I really started to fall into that. And I, I had to find a way to, to be something other than, you know, what I was because I didn't felt, didn't feel like as like a lower middle-class kid that I fit in, in this private Catholic school. So I think that was the, the beginning of the end as it were. So you had mentioned some things that your friends had said to you. And I, I think it's ironic, the idea of, oh, well, you know, our chubby friend is going to be the one that's going to finish the rest of the pizza that we have here on the table, which not only just kind of feeds you a little bit of negative energy, but it's feeding you the rest of the food too. So there, nobody's really helping you with the problem. They're kind of contributing to it. One of the things that I talked about with my previous guest was sort of people's expectations of us and who we are and what we're supposed to look like and what we're not supposed to look like. And I want to sort of dovetail into that because there's also this weird narrative of if you are the funny big guy, what happens when you're the funny guy, but you're no longer the funny big guy? I want to hear a little bit about that is what was the external reaction to your size um, then, your size now? Because I think that there's a lot that people don't necessarily understand when they see somebody that is 527 pounds or they make a whole heck of a lot of assumptions about it. So what can you tell me about that? Let's talk about that for a minute. Well, I mean, at least for me, the one thing I will say right out in front is people will say a lot of things that either they don't understand is hurtful or maybe they just think that you're okay with it because people would say they would make a lot of comments. You know, you get the, Oh, you know, Oh, big boy comments or, Hey, you know, you're, you're a pretty big guy or, Hey, is that, you know, is the chair going to be big enough for you? Things like that, that I want to say it's a self-fulfilling prophecy per se, but it really, that's, those are the kind of things that really kind of stick with you. I mean, you don't realize just how hurtful they are in the moment. It's one of those things that kind of lingers with you because to me, I'm like I said, I was always a positive guy. I was never depressed. I never really, you know, I never was 
was one of those people that was just a negative person all the time. I wasn't angry, which I mean, I should have been at this point. I mean, I should have been angry with myself. I should have been angry with other people for what they said. I should have used that to come around a lot earlier than I did. And, and I really never did it kind of just always rolled off my back. Um, and now, you know, and, and I say, you know, I've lost 300 pounds. I still, you know, I still weighed 220 pounds and it was all said and done. I was never, never going to be a skinny guy. So I kind of just accepted the fact that I was always going to get those kind of bigger guy jokes. Um, so I never, really worry necessarily about being, you know, going from being a big guy to being too skinny or anything like that. But even now, like I've, I've settled, unfortunately, you know, with COVID and everything, um, I put, you know, the freshman 40 back on. And so even now I'm still almost 300 pounds. And so I've never really been a little person. So I guess, you know, I've just kind of learned to accept a lot of those things. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't think that that necessarily people go out of their way to be hurtful. I think they just say things that they, they think is either, either it's funny or they are trying to, to pacify the situation, but it was never really about, I never really made it about other people. I, like you said, you know, you're always the funny guy, even, even not being the big guy, I'm still the funny guy. So I'll still find myself even to this day, beating myself to the punch before somebody else has a chance to say something. So, right. Well, and one of the things that I'm a big proponent of that I say all the time that keeps coming up, because if anything, this entire idea of the podcast is to get people to reconsider things that they do beliefs that they have. And one of them is certainly how we use words and that words matter and that words hurt and that flippant comments that we may make that we don't necessarily think anything of come out as horribly hurtful and is incredibly damaging that then that's going to increase the need to put the, the guard up to say, okay, well, that was just thrown out at me. So I got to deflect that. But again, as you said, the deflection comes. If I'm going to walk into a place and somebody's going to make a joke about the chair, well, I'll make it before they do because I, I love me and I know me and I can't necessarily hurt me, but we we kind of can. So one other thing that we that you had mentioned is sort of this idea of getting into the right mindset of saying this is what's going on and that sort of that snap to reality that you had. Did you have a lot of support going through this? I mean, because this was a, a long process. What did you recognize was going to be vital to your success if you're going to literally move this dial? Yeah. And so with me, I didn't, I didn't move away to a fantasy island by myself where I could control everything. I still had to live my life. I still had to go to work every day. I still had to come home and, and live in a household where normal people in quotation marks ate normal food in quotation marks. Um, I had to make the decision very early that I was going to do whatever I needed to do for me. And so, like I said, I had my surgery essentially on Halloween and the next big holiday was Thanksgiving. And it was, yeah, only that was horrible a, timing. It was about a month. Yeah. And I, and I mean, I was still, I was still in pretty rough shape after the surgery. It had only been a month. I wasn't even really eating solid foods, but I was sitting at the Thanksgiving table with my family and I wasn't eating. And I had, I think I had maybe piece of a, a small, like the size of my thumbnail piece of chicken, just to say that I had Thanksgiving dinner and I was miserable afterward. And so I, I said to myself kind of at that point, I don't, I don't need to do things the way that I was doing them just to say that I did them. I can be okay doing my own thing alongside of other people doing their thing. And, and that was kind of a very key thing for me. And, and probably led to a lot of my success was I learned that I could do things alongside other people as opposed to, you know, having to feel like I had to do what was going on, whether that's, you know, let's go out for a drink. I mean, it was 
almost a year before I had any alcohol after my surgery. Um, and so I, there was a lot of times where I went out to lunch with my buddies or whatever, and, and I would pack up half my meal before I even ate, you know, I'd ask for a box with my meal and I would put half of it in there just because, smart. just because even, even my mindset would tell me that I could eat the whole thing. And I knew I couldn't, I mean, obviously that that's, right. that's craziness. Um, the, the sandwich itself sometimes was bigger than my stomach, but that doesn't, that doesn't stop you mentally from thinking that you can accomplish it. But there was a lot of times where I had to do things like that. There was a lot of times where I had to do, you know, I had to drink water when everybody else was having beers or, you know, I had to have a soda instead of a, of a mixed drink because that's what people were doing. And, you know, I wanted it to, to not be miserable the whole time, I guess, because I'm not going to give you some, you know, some high, highfalutin answer about, you know, oh, well, I wanted to make sure I fit in and I had to make everybody else feel comfortable. I didn't, I didn't give a shit about that. I just wanted to, to not be miserable while I was doing it. And that got, that got me through it for a lot of it. But learning that, I guess the, the big kind of takeaway is just learning that I could do my own thing at the same time other people were doing theirs and still have a good time allowed me to stand up for myself and not kind of fall back into those habits of, you know, Hey, there's that extra slice of pizza art will eat it. You know, you have to make that, you have to draw that line on the sand for yourself first before you can do it with other people. Once the weight started coming off. And so you lost the, the first, you said the first 250 came off and then the last 50 was hard. What was the time frame from when you had from October 30th to the time that it took you to lose the 250 pounds? So it was, it was a almost, I would say almost three years. Cause it wasn't until 2018 that I really hit my 300 pound goal total. You think people think that this surgery is a weird miracle surgery. Like it, it's going to fall off in three months. I mean, three years is a very long time to lose 200 pounds. I mean, that is, that is a very, very steady rate, um, which also requires a hell of a lot of willpower to keep going nonstop for three years, focused on yourself and your body and your health. So first of all, good for you, buddy. So at what point did the fitness side of this come into play? Because I think that when you and I first started becoming friends, that was one of your big focus is yeah. that you wanted to get into you or you had been on your journey of I'm going to get healthy now because I'm a big proponent of and Heather and I talked about this in the previous episode is that healthy looks different for everyone what we see physically of a person has no bearing on what's happening inside of them so tell me a little bit about the health part of your journey like I said it was almost like it was like in a movie like I just decided that day that was what I was going to do but one of the things I did do was I did reach out to a personal trainer a wonderful guy named Corey and we're still friends to this day and and essentially what I said was I'm going to pay you to let me curse at you. Nice. And I told him that up front. I said, look, I'm going to be your, your worst client, but I'm also going to be your best client. I'm, I'm always going to show up. I'm always going to do what you tell me to do, but I'm going to tell you up front, I'm going to curse you out the entire time because that's just my nature. Yeah. And, I'm the same way. And I spent the first, the first couple of weeks, probably maybe even the first two months, just walking, just getting on that, like just getting into the habit of going to the gym every day or every other day, you know, doing what I was told, following a plan, trusting the process. And that moved into, you know, even, even when I first started <clears throat> losing the weight, I was still too big for a lot of the machines in the gym. 
I couldn't get into those leg press machine, the, you know, the, the leg extension. Yep, machines. Know them well. I couldn't get into those even because they, the settings just weren't, I mean, I, I weighed 500 pounds. I, I'm not making any excuses for the gym equipment companies. They're, they're <laughs> not designed to hold somebody that big. Um, but even the treadmill, I couldn't run on a treadmill for a long time because the belts couldn't handle the weight. And so it was just walking for me. And so part of it was just getting into the habit, just, just making it a priority, making it something that was part of my day, regardless of whether I wanted to, regardless if it was raining out, it didn't matter if it was cold. It didn't matter if it was hot. I was going to the gym and, and I tell people, and this is the absolute truth. I spent plenty of the next holidays in the gym. So I spent new year's Eve. I spent at the gym. I spent Christmas Eve at the gym. I spent Christmas day. I spent, you know, all of the, the holidays like that, you know, again, Thanksgiving in the gym, because that was just part of what my life was going to be now. And, and I more symbolically than anything else, I can tell you that I spent at least two of the next three years on a treadmill at midnight on New Year's Eve, just because to me, that was me replacing what got me there with what was going to get me to where I wanted to be. And it's, it just, it becomes a part, you have to just make it a part of what you're doing. And, and I, and I say, you know, I keep coming back to this, but like, I just had that moment where I just wasn't going to allow anything to get in my way. And, and that was anything like I, I didn't socialize for a long time just because that would, you know, that's, that had become what, you know, your group of friends, that's what my group of friends did. They went out and, and they went to restaurants, they went to bars, they went and did all that kind of stuff. And so I just kind of excluded myself from that for a while. And, and I, and I, kept my head down and I just decided that there was no, there was no other choice to be made. And so I kept doing it and I kept doing it. And then I slowly started to integrate back into what I was used to doing when I felt like I had the tools to kind of reintroduce myself to society, I guess, if that's okay. how you want to put it. Um, and so, yeah, like, so for me, that was, that was the whole, the whole thing was just making something else a priority and then slowly getting back to where you were. And, and it, the whole thing with the, the getting healthy and doing all that stuff, you know, and people kind of come and go from things, but I started to get a second set of friends because of it. And it, it made making those choices a little bit easier. You know, I found, I, I found a supplement company that I started to work with and, and I made, you know, made friends through that group. And, you know, I, I made basically a new set of, I don't say a new set of friends that replaced my old friends because they didn't. It was just, they were focused on other things. And so it was one of those things where now I had a group of people that I could go do both of those kind of activities with. And so I think it made it a little bit easier to kind of make that a more of a lifestyle change, I guess, than a, you know, a diet and a training program, I guess. So did it get to the point where the, the health and the fitness part of it, became less about losing the weight and more about just who you are. Yeah. And I, and I think with any, like I said, with any successful lifestyle change, and I use that word in quotation marks, that that's kind of something that you have to do is it can't be this Goliath of a thing that sits in front of you all the time. <clears throat> it has to become something that you can manage in your life every day. And if you don't want to go to the gym every day. Like I have plenty of clients that say, well, I just, I don't want to do the gym. I don't like the gym. I don't want to lift weights. I don't want to do that. Well, that's fine. There's, there's plenty of ways to do it. You can go for a walk. You can start to run. You can, you know, train for CrossFit. You can train for Spartan races. You can train for strongman stuff. Like there's, there's no one way to do it that only works for people. That's, that's right. the we just have thing to do it. it. Exactly. Right? It's, it's more about the decision to do it. Yeah. I think in a big part of what I hear from folks who have put off either focusing on their health or focusing on weight loss or whatever the case may be, it is that there is sort of this 
hill to get over that you can do it. And especially from where you've come from, where you had to start in a completely different manner because of physical limitations that you had and just going, I mean, I have, it's funny, man. Like I have no excuse, man. I got no excuse. I mean, I got time issues, but that's about to go away. (laughs) But I have no excuse for not going to the gym. I have no excuse for not showing up and doing the work. For me, it's just a mental connective. I've got to go ahead and make the decision that I'm going to go ahead and do it. But what's interesting is that for folks that don't have 300 pounds to lose, it is a lot easier for us to make that decision, but there's still things that hold anybody back. And so I think that that's what's incredible and inspiring about your story is that if you can do this, I sure as shit can get up and go to the gym next week. I mean, for the love of God, I can walk out my door and, and go for a walk. It's 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 just the little things that I think a lot of people feel overwhelmed by even just taking literally the first step. So as you're going through all of these changes and you're physically transforming as a person, what's happening inside? What's happening to you from a mental and emotional level as far as how you're evolving? Because I can't imagine that you would lose 300 pounds and mentally and emotionally be the same person that weighed the 520. Well, it's, it's tough because you don't necessarily see that kind of change in yourself as it's happening. I, I think for me, a lot of it just really became proving to myself that, you know, it was a confidence thing, I guess, is really what it comes down to. Because in, in all honesty, it's, it happens to everybody, but especially when we're talking about losing weight, it's like what really happens with, with gaining weight to me is you lose confidence in yourself because we've all had that conversation with ourselves of all right well next week i'm gonna i'm gonna go to the gym or monday starting monday i'm gonna eat health and then you eat healthy for monday and then tuesday comes around and it's taco tuesday and it's you know you have every excuse in the world and, and god you, damn you, that taco tuesday i know what's trust Gets me, me every it. time but you break you break those promises to yourself really is kind of what it comes down to and then you're just like okay well you know i did it once i can do it again and then you just essentially you end up losing confidence in yourself and it becomes easier and easier and easier to let yourself down and i i think one of the big things was i stopped doing that to myself as i the further i got down this this weight loss journey, the, the more confidence I gained in the commitments I made to myself. So what I told myself was I'm going to run a Spartan race. So Corey and I trained for eight months and I ran a Spartan race in Killington at 305 pounds. And right I had a picture of myself jumping over the fire and I barely made it because I still weighed 305 pounds, but I made that commitment to my, and every time you do something like that, you're, you're building your confidence in yourself back up. Now, what I didn't realize when I made that commitment to myself was that the race in Killington is literally the most difficult Spartan track in the entire country. And you literally have to run up the face of Killington mountain. Oh, that sounds fun. One mile straight up the hill. Um, the whole race, if you are a relatively fit person, and I put that in quotation marks, it should take you two hours, maybe three hours to run it. Those guys run it in like 40 minutes to an hour and a half. It took me eight hours, but I finished it. I made that commitment to myself and, and I had to walk for most of it. Let's be honest, most of it. And it was only... I think three and a half to four miles, but you had to go up the mountain and then come back down. And so I was cursing myself out the whole time. I was cursing my trainer out the whole time, but I never gave up on it. And it, it, like I said, it took me eight hours, but I finished the race. Well, you learn to show up. And that's something that whenever I would, when I was lifting pretty heavy, I would go to the gym and I had all these expectations of things that I wanted to do. And if I was, you know, training to do squats that day or deadlifts and I couldn't hit what I wanted to hit, 
I had to remind myself that I was there, right? I had gone to the gym. I had shown up and that's worth celebrating sometime. And so I'm a big um, fan of not setting unrealistic expectations for ourselves, because I think that that is a recipe for disaster because once we disappoint ourselves once, then the likelihood of doing that again um, is pretty damn high. Do you think that when you were going through this um, weight loss journey and when you had started on the, the fitness aspect of that, did you set expectations for yourself or did you just show up? I mean, I, I, I can't imagine that you wouldn't have exceeded your own expectations because <laughs> what frame of reference do you have to set those expectations? Well, I, I, I was in the doctor's office when we first started kind of talking about the surgery part of it. And I was kind of coming to, to, to grips with the fact that I was, I was going to have to do the surgery. And that was, that was just what was going to have to happen. And I looked at the doctor and he said, look, I have two options. I said, we can do, so we can do a sleeve surgery and you may lose a hundred to 200 pounds goes, or we can do what they call a RUNY, which is essentially a two-part surgery. So I would have one surgery. Then I would go back a couple of years later and I would have another surgery. And I said, well, is there any reason that I can't lose the weight through the first surgery? He goes, well, most people only lose a certain amount. I said, no. I said, that doesn't answer my question. I said, can I lose the 300 pounds that I need to lose with this surgery? He said, yeah. He said, you could, you could in theory do that. I said, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Nice. And I, and I, and I went through the whole thing and I went through the whole process and I actually ran back into that doctor when I was at Verizon. I ran back into the doctor when I was there and I talked to him for about 30 seconds about whatever it was his cell. He had questions about paying his bill or something like that. And I said, you don't recognize me, do you? And he said, no, he goes, and he kind of looked at me for a minute. And I said, I said, my name is Art Monahan. I said, you performed the surgery on me, whatever it was at that point. I think it was maybe, maybe a year and a half or two years after that, or like a year and a half. And I had lost 200, 200 pounds, essentially. And I wasn't quite there yet. And uh, he said, oh my gosh. He said, I, I didn't even recognize you. He goes, you look like a snowman. I said, what do you mean? He goes, it looks like a snowman that somebody left out, you know, into the springtime. And, and I, that, that moment has always stuck with me is that the guy that actually performed the surgery on me who didn't think I could do it, didn't even recognize me. That's incredible. Two years later when it was, you know, when I had had some of my success. So I considered that a victory. That's incredible. I love that. So I think that everybody has struggled with the last two years of just nothing being remotely how things should be. And thank God, I think a lot of us are giving ourselves some grace. I'm at the end of my grace period with myself where now I am in the, okay, grace is over. Um, gym needs to happen now. Um, and I think that that's a great perspective that we've all needed to have is just to kind of level set our own lives. So what's next for you? So, I mean, again, I, I'm as guilty as everybody else when it comes to COVID and, and letting myself slide a little bit. And, I, and I've, one of the hardest things that I've come to find out through this whole journey, and I, and I say one of the hardest, it's not the hardest by any means, but one of the hardest things is to maintain after you've had such a loss like that, because you get into such a mindset of, you know, I, I just had laser focus on what my goal was. And then once I hit my goal, I was like, kind of like, well, what do I do now? And so I've kind of been going the last couple of years now, because I really, you know, 2018 is when, when I really hit my goal and then 2019 and 2020 happened. And then COVID kind of slid into everything. And now a few years later, I'm, I'm back up 60, 50 to 60 pounds. So for me, I think part of it is taking that no, no options mentality into getting back to where I need to be and maintaining where I need to be. And for me, I'm one of those people that has to have a goal. And I, I heard, 
I heard a long time ago from someone who's been a huge help to me. He said, I never actually hit any of my goals. He said, once I get to a certain point, I'm about 80%. I know I'm going to hit the goal. I raise the bar or I pick a new goal or I go somewhere else with it so that I'm always driven like that. So I think for me, the biggest thing is just to have goals. So I think my, one of my biggest goals right now is to get back to that 225 mark, that 230 mark where I'm comfortable in my own skin. And I think that that's really what, you know, all I can ask for right now is just to get back to the point because we all know, we know, we know when we've gained weight, we don't need a scale to tell us that, you know, our, our, our jeans, our, you know, our shirts, you know, our underwear will tell us that we don't need to have a scale to kind of show us we need to get back on track. So for me, that's become far more important is, is feeling comfortable where I'm at and being able to do the things that I want to do and, and, and wear the things that I want to wear and go, you know, go do the activities that I want to be able to do that I just can't do at the moment. And I, and I think that that's one of the things that when I do, I've kind of gotten away from my health coaching for a little while, just because my focus has been on other things, but I still have folks that I coach and I still have people that check in with me all the time. Um, and, and I think one of the big things for me is I don't coach to a specific weight or a specific, you know, loss, you know, amount of pounds lost because, you know, that you've kind of rushed over it a couple of times. You could have six different people that weigh 150 pounds and they're all different body shapes. They're all different amounts of muscle mass and bone structure. And it, there's no really, there's no, what I learned was there's no real healthy weight. And so for, for me, it's more about coaching to be able to hit your goals, to be able to do the things that you want to do and to kind of live the life that you want to live, as opposed to being able to kind of hang your hat on, on what the scale is telling you. Tell me a little bit more about the coaching that you do, because that's a, a great transformation that you've made as far as your desire to help other people to, um, and I keep using the phrase, but it's, it's literal to literally move the needle because I certainly want to be able to promote that. If there's any resources that folks that are hearing this who may have goals that they want to hit. Tell me a little bit about exactly what you do and how we might be able to find out more. Yeah, so absolutely. So when I first kind of hit a certain point of, okay, I've, I've got this thing under control to a certain degree. Um, I, I've got I've got a plan in place. I know that I'm going to get to my to my specific weight loss goal eventually. And I kind of came to a, a decision. I there's a gentleman that that is the CEO of the the supplement company that that I've affiliated myself with. And his name is Andy Frisella. And he said, if you're to a point in your life, be it wealth or knowledge or whatever it is, life experience, where you can turn that around and help other people with it, it's your obligation to do that. You know, I figured it's my obligation at this point because of all the knowledge that I've accrued over the last two or three years on you know, how to develop those healthy habits, how to start changing your life, how to take that first step. It was my obligation to start helping people. And so I started using the tools that that they gave me as far as being able to reach out to people and coach and, and do those kind of things, you know, and that's turned into like, I have a Facebook group that, that I use. I have an app that I use and there's, there's all kinds of different ways, but most people just kind of check in, you know, whether it's, you know, messenger or texting or whatever it is. And, and I'm always there if people need anything. And like I've said before, all of my socials are all totally public. Um, my phone number is on Instagram, <laughs> whether that's a good decision or not, I don't know, <laughs> but if anybody ever needs 
any sort of guidance or any sort of coaching or even, you know, like I always say, even just a kick in the ass, um, motivation is a great thing. Motivation is what gets you off the couch, but discipline is what helps you win that argument with yourself in the parking lot at the gym. And I'm so I'm a big proponent of developing discipline as far as that goes. And I don't mean discipline, like in the military sense, I'm not, I'm not a hard ass. I'm not anything like that, but, but being able to kind of coach somebody to take those first steps and make it become a habit, you know, and then make it become something where that they, they integrate it into their lives, then they'll start to build that discipline on their own. And I think that's really what leads to long-term change is, is the discipline. Cause it's not easy to get up at six 30 in the morning in Vermont when it's negative 15 degrees and there's, you know, 80 inches of snow on the ground and go to the gym and take that, that boot camp class or, you know, to get up when it's what 40 in Arizona mm-hmm. and to the park <laughs> and, and, and do that, the, the class in the park or whatever it is, but it's the discipline that you've developed over time that'll help you do that. And, and I, I've always, always admired people that have that kind of discipline. And so that's kind of why I gravitated towards Andy. And essentially that's where I found the podcast. And that's where I, I figured that, you know, like I said, it's, it's your obligation to, and, and it, it goes to anything else. It's not necessarily just health and fitness. If there's anything in your life that you've developed a specific skill in, it's your obligation to help other people. It's just, it's just being a good person. Um, and my area of expertise just happens to be health and fitness. That's awesome. One of the things that we're definitely going to do is put links in the show notes to your Facebook, to your Instagram, because we would love for people to get to know you a little bit better, to engage um, with you and to be able to follow your journey. And especially if they want to get more information on even how you may be able to help them, that would be fantastic. I love the idea of this podcast being a way for people to connect with others. I think your story is incredible. And I think that you are equally incredible. And I feel personally like I, this was my little kick in the butt to say, Vanessa, you need to stop making excuses for yourself and start taking better care of yourself because I have not been kind to me because it's just been a long, rough couple of years. So my excuses are going to be coming to an abrupt halt. So thank you, sir, for the kick in the pants that I need. You're very welcome. And you can always reach out. You know that. Of course. Absolutely. Art, thank you so much for being with us here today. And uh, it was such a great conversation and you are always just such a delight. Thank you very much, Vanessa. I appreciate the time. Thank you so much for joining us today. New episodes launch every Monday, so I hope you'll be back. If you enjoyed this podcast, there's several ways to show your support. First, by rating the podcast and leaving a review, you help others to find great content. Second, if you're looking for further connection, consider becoming a patron of the podcast, where you'll have a fun and interesting way to connect with others and even get more information on perspectives and things you may not have considered. Lastly, please share this podcast with a friend. The number one way that podcasts reach more people is through sharing and word of mouth. I appreciate you and your beautiful open mind. See you soon.